Amen. Man, I love hearing God's people sing. What a, what a blessing that is. You know, once again, we, we find ourselves, uh, the holiday season has rolled around and, uh, and we wonder, where did this year go? It seems like it's gone by so quickly. You know, even before Halloween, the stores are filled with Christmas decorations and you know, children are wondering, like, um, you know, what they're going to receive, what they might receive, and mom and dad are all, all trying to figure out how they're going to pay for it. And, um, you know, these, these days, Thanksgiving is, is basically a pre-season holiday, if you will, uh, some, something you get kind of in shape for for Christmas, you know. Uh, we eat, we sleep, we watch football, and we don't stop until January. I mean, it just one right after another. And, uh, you know, that's really sad, though, because the art of giving thanks is one thing that separates humanity from the other animals. To receive a gift and say, thank you, is one of the noblest things a person can do. To say thank you is to acknowledge that you have been given something that you did not earn and that you don't deserve. Happy is the person who understands that all of life is a gift of God and that life itself is the ultimate gift. I mean, which is why in in God's word and in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, it says, in everything, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. When we can't do anything else, we can always be grateful. You know, someone has said, if you can't be thankful for what you have received, be thankful for what you have escaped And with that in mind this morning, I'd like for us to focus on Psalm 131. And as you know, David was a a poet and a um, a musician, the sweet singer of Israel, if you will. And when you read through the Psalms, you'll notice that nearly half of them were written by David. Psalm 131 is one of the pilgrim songs. Psalms, excuse me, Pilgrim Psalms, and its, its heading says a song of ascents, and, and that means that it's part of a group of psalms uh, which were sung as the Hebrew pilgrims made their way up the mountain toward the city of Jerusalem. They would sing these songs as they were headed toward one of the annual festivals. Fifteen of these psalms are grouped together, and all except one are fairly short, Exactly the kind of songs that you would think that a group of travelers would sing as they marched along. See, the pilgrim psalms are are like the songs we sing every week during worship. Their purpose is the same. It's to prepare our hearts for worship. Charles Spurgeon, he said that this psalm is one of the shortest to read but one of the longest to learn see there's there's three verses 
just three verses in Psalm 131. And each one reveals an important quality for us that we need to consider as we approach Thanksgiving this week. Let's read together. If you have your scripture, open it up to Psalm 131. And uh, we will read God's word together. It says this. It says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Loving Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for just the truth of your word and how it speaks to our hearts. Father, I thank you for the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us, that we could be with you, that we could have access to you. Father, that we could know you in a very personal way. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you also for your indwelling Holy Spirit. And this morning we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. Father, that you would show us exactly what you desire from your word. And God, that you would help us, help us to apply it each day. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, in these verses, there's, there's, each verse contains an important quality. And the first one that I want to point out, the first quality is humility. Humility. The psalm begins with these words in verse 1. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. I mean, not very many of us would begin a prayer that way. It sounds odd to our ears as if maybe David is, was bragging about his humility. You know, and it's always tricky to, to talk about humility. I mean, how do you know when you're truly humble? I mean, come to think of it, if you are truly humble, will you even know it? It's been well said that humility is a virtue which... When you think you have it, you've lost it. And it's helpful to know that the word for proud here in this passage is the Hebrew word for high, like high, tall mountains, tall trees. It was used to describe King Saul who stood higher than anyone else in Israel. It was also used for God because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than that of, of humanity. And sometimes we get to use that word in some ways um, when we say something like this. Get off your high horse, buster. I mean, right? We recognize they are proud. There's a problem there. There's something high about that. But, but let's be honest with ourselves on this point. We live in a culture that puts a very low value on humility. I mean, they don't give out merit badges for humility. 
From the moment we enter this world, we are urged to get ahead, to climb the ladder, to look out for number one, to win through intimidation, and we prove our success by the car we drive, the home we buy, the clothes we wear, and the friends that we keep. Our society has that, and it puts it on us. And America has got to be one of the most status-conscious places in the world. I mean, I've seen bumper stickers and T-shirts you have too that say the one uh, who dies with the most toys wins. And I just always want to say, so what? Dead people don't play with toys. I mean, right? I mean, while it may be true that the meek shall inherit the earth, it doesn't seem to be happening around here. I mean, we all feel the pinch. The cost of living is going up and inflation is up. Your dollar isn't worth as much. Not long ago, someone told me that he hates Christmas because giving gifts has become a game where your love is measured by how much you spend. Folks, that is a sad commentary about where we live and how we live. David went on in verse one and he said, nor do I involve myself in matters, in great matters or things too difficult for me. He's describing humility here in terms of how he looked at his own limitations. (laughs) The Living Bible puts it this way, I don't pretend to know it all. David is saying there are many things in the universe that are far beyond my meager ability to understand. I don't worry about those things, and I don't try to figure them out. See, humility in this context simply means that you don't run the world, you don't have all the answers, and you know your limits. You don't run the world, you don't have all the answers, and you know your limits. But you know that last one is a hard one for for many people. I mean, the idea that you have limits. It's some sort of trendy idea to talk about unlimited uh, potential and untapped resources within. But the truth is, the truth is, is that our potential is very limited and the only untapped resources are the ones we discover when we come to the end and admit that we are limited, but God is not. See, we need to understand that, that we are very limited, but God is not. Dr. John Hanna, a professor of historical theology at Dallas Seminary, he once went to a church to give a series of messages on various contemporary issues, and after one message, a young man came up to him and asked him his advice on what he should do with his life. The young man explained that he felt he had so many possibilities open to him that he couldn't decide which way he needed to go. And Dr. Hannah responded this way. He said, that's the curse of having too many options. The man who thinks there are 15 things he could do with his life will probably do none of them very well. But the man who has only one option throws himself into it because that's the only choice he has. 
He went on to say that for most of his life, his options had been limited. And that's why he was a happy man. And I think the psalmist would agree entirely. Happy is the man who knows his limits and within those limits does the very best he can. See, verse two brings us to a second quality that's very useful as we approach Thanksgiving. It's the second quality of simplicity. Humility and simplicity. It says there, surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. The picture is one that only a mother can fully understand. A child is born, and for a very long time, he looks to his mother, to to her breast as the source of his nourishment. I mean, breakfast, lunch, supper, all come from the same place. And when he's hungry, he cries, and mom knows exactly what to do. Her milk satisfies him, and he goes back to sleep. But the day comes when he has to learn how to take a bottle. Folks, that's not a happy day. He cries and big tears roll down his cheeks. His arms reach out and his mother kind of pushes them away. He fights, he pouts, he screams. But it doesn't matter. He's probably asking himself, what happened to mom? Where did she go? Where did my, what did you do with my mom? Who used to be his best friend and now it seems like she's his enemy. And if mom has a heart at all, she cries too because she knows from now on things will be different. She will feed him, but never again in the same way. See, when the bottle is over and when the tears have stopped, when he learns to eat with his brothers and sisters, then the child comes and lays his head on his his mother's chest, not in order to be fed, but just because he loves her. He comes to her because he wants to be near her. Here's the truth. Unless a mother weans her child, They will never grow up. They'll be a baby their whole life. And a very big baby at that. Though it may seem hard and though the child misunderstands, if a mother truly loves her child, she will not stop weaning him until the job is fully done. And when the job is finally done, the child no longer begs for what he once found as necessary. Once he couldn't live without his mother's milk. Now he no longer needs it. My point is this. To be weaned is to have something removed from your life which you thought you couldn't live without. David is saying, I have come to the place where the things that I thought I had to have, I don't need anymore. Now my soul is quiet and content. 
See, most of us live on the opposite principle. We usually figure our contentment by how many of our needs are met. We usually figure our contentment by how many of our needs are met. Unfortunately, it's hard to reach a place where all of our needs are constantly met. And by that standard, it's hard to ever really be content. See, if contentment is measured by how much of the world's goods you possess, who could ever say, I have enough? I mean, you think, it's like the billionaire who was asked when he was going to stop working. Well, when I make enough money. Well, how much is enough? Just one more dollar. See, that's the way most of us figure contentment. In our hearts, we think, if I would be happy if only I had a new car, I had a different job, if I had a new outfit, if I had a, a new husband or a new wife. And since life is hardly ever that simple, we stay frustrated when we ought to be very happy. No wonder Thanksgiving just kind of whizzes by us. No wonder Christmas is a nightmare. No wonder we are never satisfied. See, instead of us being weaned from the world, we're married to it. We're, we're, we're not even married to it. We're, I should say we're welded to it. And in any case, our soul is anything but quiet. Our countenance is anything but peaceful. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, he said, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He didn't say we were to be childish. He said, unless we change and become like children, What's he talking about? Was it not a faith that is childlike in its simplicity? You know, we learn a whole lot about life from our children. You know, sometimes my granddaughters have questions about things. One day we were driving by Bellwood Cemetery out on Airport Road. And Emma, my granddaughter, she said, Pa, I heard Pa from the back seat. Then I said, yes, sweetie. And she said, Pa, what is that over there? And I looked out the window and she was talking about the cemetery. Then I said, I was driving, I said, oh, that? I said, that's a cemetery. She said, what's a cemetery? I'm driving along, trying to get through the answer as quick as I could here, and I said, uh, that's a place where people go when they die. She quickly responded, she said, so is that heaven? Fair question. She's not wrong. I, I said, no, no, that's not heaven. And she said, well, my grandma died. And she went to heaven. 
so smart, so trusting. See, that, I think, is what Jesus was talking about when he said, unless you become like a little child. It is faith that is childlike faith in its simplicity. There is something our children can teach us at Thanksgiving. Children can teach us what it means to have a simple and uncomplicated trust in God. Just to simply trust him. So how does God wean us from our dependence on the things of this world? I would say this. First, he makes the things of the world bitter to us. He makes the things of the world bitter to us. Second, he removes one by one the things on which we depend. And thirdly, he gives us something better. He makes the things of the world bitter to us. He removes one by one those things that we depend on and he gives us something that is better. See, in the end, we find that we no longer need the things that we used to think we couldn't do without. And our walk with God is stronger than ever before. You know, at the end of the, a bloody battle during the Civil War, Someone found the following paper folded up in a pocket of a deceased Confederate soldier. And this is what it said. It said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things and I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy and I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men and I was given weakness that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing I asked for but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. Folks, it is a great advance in spiritual understanding to be able to say, I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. That's what simplicity is all about. Moving on, there's a third principle here to be added to humility and simplicity. It's this quality of integrity. Verse three says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. See, the word hope, the word hope in Hebrew means first to wait and then to wait expectantly. The concept is very close to our English word, confidence. An expanded definition might be something like this. To wait on something because you know the thing you are waiting for will happen because the person you are waiting on is trustworthy. 
to wait on something because you know the thing you are waiting for will happen because the person you are waiting on is trustworthy. See, David says, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. Either you choose to live like everyone else or you choose to wait on the Lord. See, once a child is weaned, the apron strings have been cut. The child comes to rest his head on his mother's lap, not because he wants something, but because he wants to be near his mother. In the same way, God weans us from our dependence on the things of this world so that we will not be bribed into trusting him. What credit is it if you trust God because you have a spouse, because you have a house, because you have a job, a happy home, a secure future, and good health? What credit is that? What will you do when you lose your mate? What will you do when you lose your job or your home or your family or your security or your reputation or your connections or your health? What will you do when life caves in and the bottom falls out? What then? See, integrity is choosing to put your confidence in God alone. He is the only one who can do that for us. It's believing that he has answers to questions you can barely understand. It's coming to a place where you don't measure your spirituality by your prosperity. It's finding rest in your soul because you discover that the things that you used to crave aren't nearly as important anymore. God has changed your perspective. And you've become just like a child. Not childish, but like a child in expecting him to provide what is needed. That's the confidence. That's the hope. As I wrap this up, I'm going to ask our our worship team if they would come back up. Such a short psalm, but so weighty in what it has to say. See, there's a lot to think about in these three verses. Humility, simplicity, integrity. We need those three qualities every day of the year. And especially as we approach Thanksgiving. Not being proud, not being haughty, not not expecting like a a, a weaned child that we're just gonna get everything that we need but that we put our hope and our confidence and our faith in God and him alone. As the hymn says, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. See, the the surprise is not just in the outward material blessings of this last year. The surprise also comes in in times of pain, in times of suffering. 
which seem to be sometimes for no, no good purpose, but they turn out to be a blessing in disguise. That too is the goodness and the grace of our Father. Our Father knows best. Our Father knows. See, Thanksgiving is only four days away. And we ought to be the most thankful people on the face of the earth. May our days be marked with humility, be marked with simplicity, be marked with integrity. Let's be thankful not only for the things we have, but also for the things we no longer must have. And let the people of God hope in the Lord, both now and forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that we would be thankful.